0: it's now time for the preaching of god's word we're working through the book of second corinthians these days and today's sermon is titled devotion devoted to the apostles teaching from second corinthians 12 verses 11 through 21. let me say this before we dive in i'm preaching live here so if i have internet connection problems please wait and sit tight while we fix things if you are having internet connection problems and can't get back into the zoom please ask the host for the link for the pre-recorded audio file of this sermon so that you can still listen to the sermon and rejoin us whenever you can. Sermon handout uh, and manuscript are also available on our website. Today's scripture is Paul's continuing defense to the Corinthian church that he was a true apostle of Christ, as well as him sharing his heart that he loved them and needed to make sure that some who remained rebellious would repent and choose to follow Jesus faithfully. Paul called the Corinthians to submit to his authority as a true apostle, and thus repent for their sins that they were engaged in. And this is also for us in the 21st century as well, to submit to the apostles' teaching as God's word, and thus repent for the sins that we are engaged in that dishonor the Lord Jesus. We are called to be devoted to the apostles' teaching, This is God's way for us to turn away from our sins and faithfully follow Jesus. It's actually quite inspiring to see what happened when the church did this, as we see in the book of Acts. Acts 2.42 says this, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. You see, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, and God's word, as they were, God's word kept rippling outward from Jerusalem. The church was not perfect, but see what Acts chapter 6 verse 7 says. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. God's word kept increasing, and disciples kept multiplying in parallel with it. When the church was severely persecuted and some apostles like James were killed, this is what kept happening. Just see Acts 12, 24. But the word of God increased and multiplied. The gospel spread to neighboring cities like Antioch, where the Holy Spirit led the church to commission Barnabas and Paul to go to further regions in the Roman Empire. And more and more of the nations came to faith in Jesus, and churches were planted in many cities within the empire. Now see Acts 19.20. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Do you see this pattern? God's word increased. And prevailed mightily. I love how this describes the work of God's word, all over the world, multiplying disciples and churches. Man, what would it be like to see this happen in our day and age in Jabodetabek and in Indonesia? Amen. How does this thing sort of? How does this sort of thing happen? And this is Paul's main message, the one thing from 2 Corinthians twelve eleven through 21. Be devoted to the apostles' teaching, especially in repentance towards Christ. Let's go ahead and read the scripture now. This is God's word from 2 Corinthians eleven twenty one. I have been a fool. You forced me to it, for I ought to have been commended by you. For I was not at all inferior to these super apostles, even though I'm nothing. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. For in what what were you less favored than the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not burden you? Forgive me this wrong. Here for the third time, I am ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden, for I seek not what is yours, but you. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? But granting that I myself did not burden you, I was crafty, you say, and got the better of you by deceit. Did I take advantage of you through any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus to go and sent the brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not act in the same spirit? Did we not take the same steps? Have you been thinking all alone that we have been defending ourselves to you? It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding, beloved. For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish. That perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality that they have practiced. Amen. Paul called the church to be devoted to the apostles' teaching, especially in repentance towards Christ. I'll explain this in three parts, and these are three character traits of Paul as a true apostle. First, A true apostle showed proof of authenticity in verses 11 through 13. Second, a true apostle showed love and integrity in verses 14 through 18. And third, a true apostle showed a call to repentance in verses 19 through 21. Let's pray one more time specifically for God's help and transformation in our hearts. Heavenly Father, as we pause right now, we ask for your sp- your spirit to make us people devoted to your word. Convict us of sin. Lead us to repentance out of a heart that wants to please you and enable us to live in a manner that glorifies you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. For Paul's first character trait as a true apostle of Christ, see verses 11 through 13, Proof of Authenticity. In these verses, Paul reiterated his defense as a true apostle to the Corinthian church. And here's the, fir- here's the truth that I'll explain in this first point. Truth number one, we believe Paul's letters in the scriptures are inspired by God. Thus, we submit to his teaching in them. <coughs> since verse, uh, since chapter 10, Paul has been defending him, uh, his apostleship because there were some in the Corinthian church, who did not confidently believe that Paul was a true apostle of Christ. There were these other men who argued that Paul was actually a false apostle, and that they were the true apostles. And Paul ironically called them super apostles because they were much more outwardly impressive than him. But he countered by explaining that these other guys were actually the false apostles who disguised themselves, and whose real motives were to financially profit from the Corinthian church. Paul knew who he was before the Lord, that he was nothing, and yet he was also a servant of Christ. This is, I think, a very solid way for oneself to think about uh, oneself, isn't it? It's holding these two truths about himself in tension. Look at this tension in what he previously wrote uh, to them. 1 Corinthians 15 verses 8 through 10, last of all. Paul knew that before God, he was a wretched sinner who had hunted down Christians before becoming one himself. On the other side of the coin, he knew that he was saved by God's grace and called by God's grace as an apostle, which he worked extremely hard at. By the way, this is a great way for us to think about ourselves too, isn't it? I'm nothing, and yet by God's grace, I am called to be a parent to these children, to work in this sphere to serve in this ministry now moving on in verse 12 he stated the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience with signs and wonders and mighty works so in light of this we have to ask what were these signs that marked him as a true apostle i need to first explain what the office of apostle is the office of apostle is a very specific role in jesus kingdom they were the 12 who were chosen by Jesus, and the requirements for being this type of apostle were that they followed Jesus from the very beginning of his earthly ministry, and they were also eyewitnesses of Christ's resurrection. These apostles were entrusted with the ministry of God's word and prayer. They were to preach and teach about Jesus, about Jesus' teachings, and about Jesus' life, and how Jesus was the fulfillment of God's plan of salvation from the scriptures. So if Jesus was the foundation and cornerstone of the church, the apostles were to be the pillars of the church. And the main way the apostles were to be this, these pillars was through their teaching. The apostles teaching had a special weight to them. Their teaching included some of their written documents, which, uh, which the church since the first century has regarded as inspired by the Holy Spirit, and, and were included in the, in the, in the canon of scripture, that is the collection of books regarded as God's word. This includes the Gospels, the book of Acts, which is the history of the first church, the epistles, that means the letters of the apostles, and the final book of Revelation, which was God's revelation to John about the return of Jesus. Now, Paul was also considered an official apostle, similar to the 12, but was a bit different. He was an apostle who was untimely born, which meant that he was appointed as an apostle by Paul, by Jesus, after all the rest had been. The Lord appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus when Paul was saved. And he said that, Jesus said that Paul was to be an apostle to the Gentiles, bringing the gospel to the non-Jews throughout the Roman Empire and to the ends of the earth, starting churches where these Gentiles became Christians. And this is what Paul did. Thus, one major sign out of two that marked him as a true apostle was the miraculous conversion of the Corinthians to Christ and the founding of the church there. According to what Paul wrote, the Corinthians themselves were his letters of recommendation. There were other signs and wonders and mighty works that accompanied the ministry of Paul, but the greatest miracle that only God could do by his grace was to transform their dead hearts to become alive and to believe in Jesus. And this was not just one or two people. The disciples multiplied there, and they became a church where they learned how to follow Jesus together. Paul served this young church with utmost patience as God continually, faithfully, powerfully worked within them. So when they asked Paul for a sign of his apostleship, They just needed to look in the mirror at themselves because they were the sign of his authenticity. And this brings us back to truth number one. We believe Paul's letters in the scriptures are inspired by God. Thus, we devote ourselves to them. Family and friends, examine your lives. Do you have the desire to love Jesus by obeying his words as the Holy Spirit convicts you? You know, the truth, the fruit of genuine faith in Christ is obedience. So check for this in your life. If not, this is a good realization because I do not want any of us here to have a false sense of security regarding your, your status before the Lord. The truth is we cannot obey enough to earn salvation. It is a gift by God's grace. But salvation does bear the fruit of obedience. Now, one way we devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching is by being a church that completely saturates itself in the scriptures. This is the reason why we preach expositional sermons through books in the Bible, instead of just picking random verses to teach on specific topics. We want you to know the contents of the Bible because it reveals who God is in Jesus Christ. It reveals what God's plan was and is for saving the world. Another way we devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching is by being a church that faithfully and seriously obeys God's word. We don't just know it. We do what it says. And we do this because the Holy Spirit has changed our hearts and we now love Jesus more than we love our sins. Life application number one is this. How can you cultivate greater devotion to God's word in your life? Uh, this is not the only way, but it is a good way to do this. And it's by being a part of life group. Being a life part of life group isn't easy, especially now. It's uncomfortable to study the Bible. It's even more uncomfortable to discuss and share how it connects to our own lives. It's most uncomfortable to encourage and to keep each other accountable to obey Jesus. But it is a way that we can, uh, we exercise devotion to the apostles' teaching. How can you cultivate greater devotion to God's word in your life? So Paul's first character trait as a true apostle was his proof of authenticity. Now for Paul's second character trait as a true apostle of Christ, see verses 14 through 18, love and integrity. In these verses, Paul shared how he and his team served them with love and integrity for their sake. And here's the truth that I'll explain in this second point. Truth number two, submit to spiritual authority who do it the right way, Christ's way from the Bible, that is the apostles teaching. The first sign that marked Paul as a true apostle was the salvation of the Corinthians and the founding of the church there. This was a miraculous work of God. Now, the second sign that marked Paul as a true apostle, which we'll talk about now, was the Christ-centered love that he had for them and the Christ-like character that he embodied in his life. Remember, one of the serious accusations that the false apostles brought up against Paul was that he had sinned against them by preaching the gospel to the Corinthians free of charge. His opponents criticized him for this, saying that Paul was just not skilled enough as a speaker and teacher and leader to demand money as compensation for his ministry. But Paul actually chose not to ask the Corinthians for financial support in the past because he wanted to distinguish himself from all the false apostles who were peddlers and profiteers. Instead, when Paul ran out of money, he did manual labor as a tent maker for a season, which his opponents also looked down on. Despite all this criticism, he said that he'd do the same exact thing again the next time he visited that third time. Look at Paul's heart here. He said this, for I seek not what is yours, your money, I seek you. He didn't want their money or stuff. He wanted them. He loved them. He wanted to be with them and to reinforce true biblical faith and life that was consistent with God's heart. As a true apostle to the Corinthians, he had a father's heart for them. And we can all understand Paul's illustration here. Parents with children who still need to be cared for are obligated to save up for the save up for and provide for their children's needs. The children are not obligated to save up and provide for their parents' needs. You see, in Paul's eyes, the Corinthian Christians were still spiritual infants. They still needed care and concern from him. Their conflicts, jealousies, flakiness, fleshliness, and conceitedness only showed further that they were still very immature Christians. In verse 15, Paul said that despite their slow maturing, he still loved them. With a father's heart, he loved them. He wrote, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? He said that he would most gladly expend his money, time, sweat, tears, and affection for them in visiting them again. In some ways, this was a one-sided type of love, wasn't it? Like a parent who loved his child deeply only to have his child kick him, scream at him, bite bite at him, questioning his, questioning and resisting his father's love. In verses eight, uh, 16 through 18, Paul indicated that some of the Corinthian church still believed the false apostles who accused him of deceiving them and taking advantage of them. Paul challenged them to faithfully examine his behavior and motives, as well as Titus's behavior and motives when they were with him. He wrote, did I take advantage of you through any of those whom I sent? Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not act in the same spirit? Did we not take the same steps? Paul had already thoroughly presented his case, the case of his own integrity and and, and character at length. In 2 in, uh, Corinthians six, chapter 6, something he wrote was, we live in such a way that no one will stumble because of us and no one will find fault with our ministry. In everything we do, we show that we are true ministers of God. We patiently endure troubles and hardships and calamities of every kind. We have been beaten, been put in prison, faced angry mobs, worked to exhaustion, endured sleepless nights and gone without food we prove ourselves by our purity our understanding our patience our kindness but the holy spirit within us by the holy spirit within us and by our sincere love we faithfully preach the truth god's power is working in us Paul could have easily pointed out all the signs and wonders and mighty works that happened in his ministry that would have refuted the false apostles' attacks and would have won the respect of the Corinthians. But instead, Paul pointed to the suffering that he endured, his weaknesses that helped him to confidently boast in Christ alone, and the fruit of the Spirit that was apparent in his life. More than skills in public speaking, winning friends, and leading people. Paul possessed the character that Christ truly valued and that really mattered in his kingdom. He sincerely loved them. He practiced what he preached himself. So let's revisit this again. Truth number two, submit to spiritual authority who do it the right way, Christ's way from the Bible, which is the apostle's teaching. The writer of Hebrews taught the church with the same principle. Hebrews 13, 7 and 17. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. This was how the church is is to submit to their elders. As the elders speak God's word to the church and live it out before the church, The church submits to God's words spoken to them by the elders and imitate how the elders live it out. You know, any organization, a sports team, business, nonprofit, or anything else that doesn't have leaders who do things the right way will usually fall apart eventually. But organizations that do it the right way will most likely achieve what they set out to accomplish. And in the church, leaders who do things the right way will never, ever lose out because what they seek is God's approval alone. Doing it the right way for church leaders means being devoted to the apostles' teaching to guide what they do and how they do it. It also means specifically elders lead out of love for others and out of an integrity of character. Uh, Let me tell you something, church. I really miss Pastor Eric and Pastor John, not just because they're my close personal friends or because I really value them as fellow elders of the church. The the wisdom, character, diversity of perspectives and accountability are all things that I've grown to really appreciate over the years. I want to be someone who does things the right way, but I know it is so much harder alone. A plurality of qualified elders is the scriptural norm in God's in God's wisdom to help make sure elders lead the church the right way. I'm a solo, quote-unquote, quote solo pastor for about six weeks while the Yees are in the U.S. for home assignment. And then this arrangement of two elders overseeing two churches is just a stopgap. This is not a, a, a permanent situation. Church. What we want to do is raise up more qualified elders whom we can submit to, who won't be perfect, but who will have a fear of the Lord and will serve the right way according to the scriptures, out of love for others and with the utmost integrity. Here's life application number two. How will you support the ministry of the elders in this church? I would say, pray, pray that the elders, faithfully speak God's word to the church and live it out before the church with tremendous fear of the Lord. That would lead to love, a life of love and integrity. Then you devote yourself to God's word as well and follow the elders in living it out with each other as the church with love and integrity. This would be the most awesome thing that could happen in our church. Amen. So Paul's first character trait as a true apostle of Christ was his proof of authenticity. And then his second character trait was his love and integrity. Now, for Paul's third and final character trait as a true apostle of Christ, let's see verses 19 through 21, the call to repentance. In these verses, Paul warned the rebellious minority among them to repent of their sins. Here's the truth that I'll explain In this third point, truth number three, the call to follow Christ on earth as is a life of repentance. This is always our first step in light of the gospel. In verse 19. Paul makes sure to set the set the record straight here. He wrote, you have been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you. It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding beloved. So you see. He was not only speaking up for his own sake by defending himself against the false apostles attacking his apostleship. In fact, the truth was Paul was speaking up for their sake, for building them up and edifying them towards the truth of what it means to follow Jesus. I'm repeating myself here, but it's a good review. Paul spoke with the authority of Christ as his specially appointed apostle to teach and instruct the church. And with the authority he was uh, they, and with that authority, authority, he was calling the church to repentance for their sins. And this is a basic building block in the life of a disciple of Jesus Christ. The issues ran deep in the Corinthian church. There was rampant sexual immorality. Immor- there were divisions within the congregation, disorderly gatherings and lawsuits among members. There was theological confusion about Pagan practices about marriage and divorce, about spiritual gifts, and even about the bodily resurrection. Many in the church even questioned Paul's apostolic authority, and Paul addressed these issues through tearful letters and painful visits, but still things got worse before it got better. Eventually, God worked in most of the church members' hearts and they humbly received his corrections and rebukes and chose to live in a Christ-honoring way. There were still some, a small faction, who still resisted Paul's authority as an apostle and his call to repent and to turn back to Christ. So in verse 20, Paul said honestly, "For I fear that perhaps when I come I may not find you as I I may not I may find you not as I wish and that you may find me not as you wish he was nervous he was worried that when he visited he would they would not be as open to submitting to his apostolic authority he was nervous and worried that when they saw him and what he stood for biblical truth and obedience to jesus they would not like him or the discipline that they would have to endure that he would have to enforce paul flexed his apost- apostolic authority Spoke out of a genuine love for them and integrity in living his way, this way himself. Remember, he embraced weakness in his life as a way to see uh, his great need for the grace and power of Christ, right? And thus, he finally called the Corinthians to repentance. Paul knew that this was the first step to experiencing a fresh dose of God's grace. Grieving over sin. Awareness of God's holiness the joy of being totally forgiven and changing of the changing of heart to now want to please God Paul did not want any of the Corinthian uh, Corinthian Christians to miss out on this wonderful process so we arrive at this critical truth number 3 the call to follow Christ on earth is a life of repentance this is always the first our first step in light of the gospel as we also receive the Apostles' teaching, let's notice that repentance is really the first step in responding to, to, to Christ. When Jesus began his earthly ministry, he said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So let's think about what Paul was saying, The Corinthians to, uh, was calling the Corinthians to repent about. We must be struck with the seriousness of relational conflicts and sexual sins. They are not worse in God's eyes than other sins, but they are deeply ensnaring and particularly damaging for us as human beings. First, the relational conflicts Paul listed in verse 21, quarreling, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. These create more and more bitterness towards other others and self-isolation as the years go by. I tell, I always Tell teams that I'm a part of that one of the primary things that the devil does to get us off track is to get us to start hating each other. It starts with small, insignificant things, but these things get bigger and bigger if left unresolved. And as I'm getting older, I'm seeing this more and more in people in my life, um, in other people who uh, over the years are, are stuck in bitterness and have no one in their lives. It's just, it's really sad. Second, not just relational conflicts, but think about the sexual sin Paul listed in verse twenty-one: impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality. How much they twist how people think and how people treat others, creating mistrust and broken intimacy, and leading down a uh, leading to a downward spiral of perversities and addictions. I I I I fear that so many of us. Uh, So many of us here are chained by these kinds of sexual sins and are just dying inside because we've kept it a secret. But let me tell you, there's hope. There is hope for us addicted to these sins that cause so much guilt and shame. There is hope for us stuck in the cycle of trying to fight it and fighting other people and all the regrets that these conflicts um, bring up. That hope is in Christ. There is no sin that Jesus' sacrifice cannot redeem. There is no sin that Jesus' sacrifice cannot cleanse from our souls. There is no sin that Jesus' sacrifice cannot bridge to reconcile us with God the Father. And the beginning step in light of the gospel that we can take is repentance. The first step in experiencing this is repentance. The New Testament Greek word is metanoia, and it's composed of two parts, meaning change and mind. In the ancient world, the mind referred to the center of a person's being, what we call today the heart. So repentance is a change of heart from self-gratifying, rebellious sin towards trusting now and surrender now to Jesus Christ. It's an act of God's grace to change our hearts, and yet at the same time, it is a decision that we make. Remember that Paul, what Paul himself taught the Corinthians earlier, second Corinthians seven verse ten. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. We feel sorrow for our sins, and this brings about a change of heart away from those sins and towards Christ. When we move towards Jesus by faith, we experience the unconditional, lavish, and forgiving love of our Heavenly Father as He embraces us, as prodigal children. So here's life application number three. How can you incorporate repentance more prominently in your own life? For those of us here who never have repented of your sins and, tr- and have never trusted in Him as, as Savior and King, take that first step first step towards Jesus by faith today his salvation is a gift that he gives to us freely he sets us free from sin and shame he puts on us he puts us on the path of life that is full and eternal church family this isn't just for new believers either this repentance becomes a lifestyle that we devote our as this becomes a, a lifestyle that we devote ourselves as we devote ourselves to the apostles teaching which helps us realize how how deep sin runs in our lives and points us back to Jesus as the one who died for our sins and redeems us this is a joy because we know even though it's painful and embarrassing it leads us to greater appreciation and joy in Christ let's take a few moments uh, to collect our thoughts and to pray on our own before we go into um, personal um, breakout rooms, uh, we'll go into breakout rooms for a time to share and pray together we're, we're trying to do this often because it's a great chance to disciple each other and to build each other up and just to give you an idea of what what to share, you can share things like one what are your takeaways from today's sermon? two do you have any questions or comments from today's sermon that you can discuss and three Just catch up and share prayer requests in light of the sermon today. We'll send out these questions out on the Zoom chat so you can have it for your own reference in your breakout room. Um, If you totally feel weird about participating, then just say so in your group and listen to others share. Don't sign off yet. We'll get back together after 10 minutes to close out our Sunday celebration today.